This is Africa Digest. It is 1700 hours Central African time on Africa Digest on Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Hello, welcome to the program. My name is Spumelele Zondi. You can find us on 9625 kHz on the 31-meter band if you're in Southern Africa and on 802 on the DSTV audio bouquet. I'm with Onel Nzinzi, Hussana Matebula and Musibudi Makora. Get off stories. Today marks 14 years since the launch of the African peer review mechanism. UN Secretary General Antonio Guterres visits East Africa. In economics, Old Mutual names a former South African finance minister as chairperson of its emerging markets division. And in sports, Senegal or Guinea looking to qualify for the 2017 Under-20 AFCON final. Here's Onel Nzinzi. Thank you, Spoo. The Gambian police have launched an investigation into a violent public assault of a reporter by supporters of President Adama Baro. Journalist Keba Jafang has, was assaulted at a press conference on Sunday held by ministers from three parties who joined together to form Barrow's new coalition government. Barrow has made, has made press a freedom appealer of his reforms since taking power this year from Yaya Jume. Jume's 22-year authoritarian rule was marked by arrests and intimidation of reporters. South Africa's Defence Minister Nosif Bwemapisangakula says the SADC heads of state summits to be held in Swaziland next week will have to discuss the political instability in the DRC. Mapisangakula, who is visiting South African troops in the DRC, maintains the region should ensure that peace and stability reigns in that country. Mapisangakula says South African President Jacob Zuma will be briefed about what needs to be attended to as the region engages in helping the DRC to hold elections this year. I'll be able to brief the Commander-in-Chief of the South African National Defence Force about some of the pertinent challenges which our people have come across. One of those when we're receiving the reports, for instance, yesterday, is that you have areas in the east here where the very rebels are the ones who are conducting voter registration. That should say something about the dynamics of the political environment in this part of the country. Former Prime Minister of Lesotho, Tom Tabani, says the mountainous kingdom is not ready for elections. Citing security concerns, Tabani remarks comes after the country's King Letia III moved to dissolve parliament this week. The current Prime Minister, Pakari Damosisiri, who is also the leader of the Democratic Congress, lost a confidence vote. This consequently paved way for an election within three months. Mosisidi has headed a coalition government since a snap election in 2015 that was called in an effort to end the country's prolonged power struggles. Tabani says organizing an election is going to be a costly exercise and could have been avoided if Mosesidi had not rushed to the king to call for an election. South Africa's Deputy President Cyril Ramaphosa says the recent spike in xenophobia and violent protests cannot be blamed on a failure by government to restore social cohesion. Ramaphosa is answering oral questions in the National Assembly. He says the challenge the country is facing are partly challenges the country is facing are partly due to the many opportunities it offers to foreigners. 
the South African government has often gone out of its way to promote social cohesion. Admittedly, we face enormous challenges because when it comes to issues that impact on xenophobia, we have become an oasis, an oasis that many people from various other countries face. And when you interpose that on the challenges that we face as a nation, there is always a conflict that will arise, and the government is always there to mediate that. And lastly, German Foreign Minister Sigmar Gabriel has warned Russia not to tamper with the upcoming German parliamentary elections in September. This follows accusations of Russian tampering in the U.S. presidential election. Gabriel has advised Moscow that Germany will defend itself against any attempt to influence the German poll. U.S. President Donald Trump has strongly denied claims that his rise to power was assisted by Russia. Channel African News, I am Monelin Sinsi. Africa Digest. You're listening to Africa Digest. It is 17.05 Central African Time right here on Africa Digest on Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Now, today marks 14 years since the African Peer Review Mechanism, otherwise known as APRM, was created. The APRM is an African Union initiative and was founded in 2003 with an aim to encourage African states to submit to voluntary review of their governance processes by their peers. The system has recently experienced a revival after almost grinding to a halt in the past few years. Channel Africa spoke to Stephen Grust from the South African Institute of International Affairs about the relevance of the mechanism and the challenges it still faces. The link between good governance, development and ending poverty has been long established and if our countries don't examine where our problems are, where our weaknesses are in, in the governance realm, we'll never improve. So this has been a very elaborate system that had a voluntary system that's had many countries um, uh, join. There are now 36 members, and uh, 20 of them have been through the review process so far, and they've really introspected and, and seen where their, their problems are and tried to come up with solutions to make lives ultimately better for everybody. Now, in spite of the progress that the mechanism has made, it has also been struggling to inspire confidence after a series of internal governance scandals in 2012 and poor attendance of APRM events by participating heads of state and government. But it seems with Professor Eddie Maloka at the helm, things have stabilized in terms of the management of the affairs of mechanism. What do you think, Steve? Uh, I agree. I mean, we've definitely seen a new energy with Professor Maloka. I think he has drive, he has vision, um, he's reignited it. Uh, just this year, we had, in January, we had four more reviews. We hadn't had any reviews since 2011. Um, hopefully, those financial and mismanagement scandals are behind the APRM. The Secretariat is increasing its uh, staff complement and its professionalism. And slowly, slowly, there is... Uh, more political buy-in at the top. I mean, I think uh, also since the appointment of President Uhuru Kenyatta of Kenya as the head of the APRM Forum of Heads and State of Heads and State and Government, um, we've also seen some new energy, some uh, 
some drive and some enthusiasm for the APRM, which I agree with you, was in a dip and, and was uh, not in a good place five years ago. At the 28th summit of uh, the African Union Assembly of Heads of State in Ethiopia earlier this year, a decision was taken to extend the mandate of the African peer review mechanism to include the tracking of the implementation and oversee monitoring and evaluation of the continent's key governance areas. The Assembly took this decision on the recommendation of His Excellency President Paul Kagame, of course President of Rwanda, and his high-level team of experts who submitted the report on the institutional reform of the African Union. What do you make of the extension of APRM mandate, Stephen? So I think it's, it's, it's going to be a big challenge for APRM. I mean, one of the, the problems which is yet to be worked out is APRM is a voluntary process, and at the moment we only have 36 out of Africa's 55 uh, countries that are members of the APRM. So how are we going to deal with non-APRM countries? I think there's a lot of positives of extending the mandate, but there's also a lot of details to be worked out. Um, you know, the APRM has been notoriously slow. Uh, although we celebrate 20 reviews in 14 years, it's actually quite a slow process. Um, there have been uh, lots of problems. Uh, you know, the, the SDGs and Agenda 2063 uh, are quite compatible with the APRM, but there's a lot of details to be worked out. Um, you know, who's going to do the monitoring? How are we going to involve national statistical bodies? What is the role of NEPAD, which has also been given a, a mandate to track uh, the implementation of the Sustainable Development Goal? So I think there's a lot of coordination and, and uh, synergy that needs to be achieved. In fact, there were a whole series of meetings this week that the APRM held that I was lucky enough to attend some of them where, where some of these questions are starting to be asked. As the mechanism turns 14 years today, what do you think should be done to get more Africans participate in the African peer review uh, processes? Because one of the criticisms uh, leveled against the mechanism has been that it is not doing enough uh, to raise public awareness around its work. What do you think should be done? I think there needs to be a much more aggressive marketing campaign, uh, publicity, public relations. Um, I think African citizens need to be more informed. They need to um, uh, learn about it. I think they need to, uh, things need to be simplified so that they can understand and identify, particularly when the process comes into one's country. It's incumbent on citizens and and civil society organizations to get involved. So I think a a real uh, strong communication strategy needs to happen from the central secretariat, but also in each country that the APRM is a part of. So, uh, you know, I, I think there are a lot of challenges, but, uh, you know, today's celebration, is, there's a lot of people, I'm actually at the celebrations being held at Monte Cassino at the moment, and I've just stepped out while President Mbeki has been talking about the origins of the APRM. I think having high-profile speakers and so on uh, uh, will, will make a difference. I know not everybody is, has access to Facebook and Twitter, but those that do uh, have the opportunity to learn more and, and become more involved and, and have their say about... Uh, the governance conditions that uh, govern their own lives and, and affect their own prosperity. Now, to date, 36 countries have joined the mechanism. 20 of them have successfully completed the review process. What does this tell us about the seriousness with which African heads of state take this initiative? Is there a political will on the part of African heads of state to accede to the mechanism? Probably the process takes so long that it's difficult to sustain interest. And, and one of the critical things, of course, is, is once the review is done, country is meant to implement 
the remedies to the problems that it's identified. And, and uh, that's quite poorly integrated into national development plans, into budgets, uh, into, into other things that the country is doing. So there still remain enormous challenges. Stephen Gruist is from the South African Institute of International Affairs talking to Channel Africa's Kumbero Munjarere. Today marks 14 years since the Rather, South Africa will use its chairmanship of the Indian Ocean Rim Association to unlock the upscale of the economic potential of its vast ocean. That, according to President Jacob Zuma, while speaking to the South African Broadcast Corporation at the end of his two-legged visit to Indonesia last night, he took a state visit to the Southeast Asian country and also attended the Leaders' Summit of 21 countries bordering the Indian Ocean, which include Australia, Malaysia, Thailand, Kenya and Tanzania, among others, in Debo Mugobo reports. Surrounded by a vast ocean, South Africa hasn't taken advantage of the immense potential of this untapped resource and with the potential to contribute up to 177 billion rand to the country's GDP and create 1 million jobs within the next 15 years, government is now exploring the maximum use of its ocean for economic benefits. It adopted Operation Pakis on the ocean economy in 2014 and already this is beginning to bear fruit. And to date, at least 7,000 jobs have been created in different sectors. With South Africa assuming the chairmanship of the Indian Ocean region later this year until 2019, President Zuma says the country will be equal to the task. We have established Operation Pakisa, which identified the blue economy, that there is a massive economy in the ocean. I think we are going to be very innovative. We are going to learn from other countries that have chaired this. And I would imagine there is nothing that stops us to use the same kind of talent that we have used in establishing Operation Pakistan. Now, as South Africa, we'll use that kind of advantage and knowledge to expand the activities in the ocean economy. In a world which appears to be assuming protectionist measures as evidenced by the new U.S. administration's approach and the Brexit, President Zuma says Iora member states and South Africa in particular are widening the net further for new markets. I think our understanding of the global setting, we can't say globalization is good in one sense, in another sense, try to run away from it. The understanding of the countries in particular who are part of this are the countries that link up in South-South cooperation. So it is the understanding of the developing countries that working together, particularly in this program, will help us to make good meaning of global relations and cooperation. President Zuma has wrapped up his four-day stay in the Southeast Asian country with a state visit aimed at strengthening trade and investment between the two countries. The two-way trade is close to 40 billion rand with South Africa exporting iron ore, aluminium and mechanical appliances amongst others. Both countries have now signed the action plan to monitor and guide bilateral trade. And President Zuma says this will focus on specific areas of trade. So we are very happy that there are specific areas that have been identified in our discussions when we met as the two delegations. We were already able to identify specific things that could be exported by South Africa in particular that they need and things that we might also need from them and how using South Africa deal with SADC, for an example, as a region, but also deal with the entire continent. An Indonesian president, Joko Widodo, is also expected in the country on a state visit later this year. I am Tebo Mokobo, Jakarta, in Indonesia.
across the globe every second there's always a breaking story for channel africa radio in ethiopia's capital addis ababa for channel africa i'm lillian strobach reporting from the icc in the hague reporting for channel africa i am hilda kekeloa in zambia our cutting edge and hard-hitting journalism leaves no stone unturned giving you the whole picture every time george muhango Channel Africa Blantyre. This is Lansana Fofana reporting for Channel Africa from Freetown. Reporting for Channel Africa in Harare, Zimbabwe. This is Simon Muchemwa. Reporting for Channel Africa. This is Moki Kinzeka in Yaoundi. From an African perspective, listen to Channel Africa in English, Kiswahili, French, Silozi, Portuguese, and Chinyanja, informing the world about Africa. in Lesotho. Reporting for Channel Africa, Mwaigi Konyo in Nairobi. Join us every day and know what is happening around you. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. It's 17.17 Central African time. UN Secretary General Antonio Guterres, who was in East Africa this week for an official visit to Kenya and Somalia, has said the government of Tanzania should be commended for its efforts to receive and keep the refugees and for the resolution of political instability in Burundi and the Democratic Republic of Congo. The UN Secretary General has said that Wednesday night at at the International Airport of Serere in Dar es Salaam in Tanzania on transit in his brief conversation with the Minister of Foreign Affairs and the East African Cooperation of Tanzania Ambassador Augustine Mahinga Gabriel Zakaria. On his first transit trip at Julius Nyerere International Airport since becoming the UN chief, Guterres said Tanzania has played a big and vital role towards the East African region for hosting a number of refugees from neighboring countries, namely Burundi, Rwanda and DRC for quite a long time since the eruption of civil war. Tanzania has always been a pillar of peace and stability in the region and has always contributed uh, to try to create the conditions for other countries, for the neighbors also to enjoy the same peace and the same stability. Unfortunately, it has not always been the case. Uh, Tanzania has also been very generous in hosting refugees. uh, And again, we have people coming out of Burundi for different reasons uh, and being generously received by uh, the government and the people of Tanzania. And I want to express my deep gratitude and appreciation to His Excellency the President, Uh, to the Honorable Minister that uh, was kind enough to visit uh, me at uh, the airport and to the people of Tanzania for their generosity. Um, This was also a good occasion to discuss uh, how better to support uh, the uh, facilitation of uh, President Makapa in relation to Burundi. Uh, I fully support uh, his initiative and uh, we hope that uh, this uh, summit um, of uh, uh, Eastern African countries will allow for progress uh, to be made uh, uh, to help Burundi go back to a normal life. Uh, At the same time, we are uh, also very hopeful in relation to the initiatives that Tanzania, together with others, are uh, um, leading um, with uh, SADC in order to guarantee also a future of democracy and peace in the Democratic Republic of Congo in all these circumstances. Guterres, who was on transit back to New York after visiting a camp with hundreds of families displaced by the drought and Somalia's battle against the Islamic extremists of Al-Shabaab in Kenya and Somalia, 
had a brief meeting with the Foreign Minister of Tanzania, Ambassador Augustine Mahiga, who represented the President of Tanzania, John Magufuli, due to his busy schedule. UN Secretary General Guterres explains more his emergency meeting with the minister. Um, it is my deep belief that when the region comes together, problems can be solved. We have seen it in Gambia recently. The region came together, the problem was solved. And so my appeal is for both in the East African context and in the Southern African context, for the region to come together and help the two countries, Burundi and uh, the Democratic Republic of Congo, um, uh, enjoy uh, once again a situation of uh, peace uh, and democracy. Uh, and uh, I fully trust uh, Tanzania as uh, a pillar of these initiatives uh, and uh, we'll be following with a lot of interest uh, the summits that will take place uh, soon. For his part, the Minister of Foreign Affairs and the East African Cooperation, Ambassador Mahiga, told the UN chief that Tanzania is ready and will always continue to provide its contribution whenever asked to do that. President Magufuli was very delighted that if you stop in Dar es Salaam, it would be good for us to see you and convey greetings, but also an invitation to you, hopefully at a convenient time, you'll find time to visit Tanzania. We are hosting refugees from Burundi. More are still coming. And we continue to be partners with the United Nations and the international community. But also to convey to you uh, progress on President Kappa's initiative on the peace process in Burundi, where the East African community has appointed him as the facilitator and President Museveni as the mediator. The issue will be discussed in the forthcoming summit of the East African countries on the 6th of April, and we hope uh, there'll be some progress uh, after that summit. But also President Magufuli wanted to convey to you uh, the intention of the Southern African countries, SADC, to put on the agenda the issue of the Democratic Republic of the Congo. Earlier, rumors spread that one of the reasons for the UN chief to pause his trip at Julius Nyerere International Airport at 10.15 p.m. Wednesday is to learn how political discourages Zanzibar situation since the rerun of election, which boycotted by the opposition parties earlier 2016. Minister Mahiga denies the existence of the rumors. No, not at all. We didn't discuss anything about Zanzibar. It's, uh, and actually what we discussed as far as Tanzania is concerned is just the extent to which the international community should be helping us to relieve the burden of hosting refugees who are in excess of 200,000 from Burundi. And, of course, he was very delighted that the, the rains are coming here in Tanzania and we hope we'll have good crops this year. Compared to where I came from, he told me that in Kenya, and Somalia, the drought is really hitting very hard. Political analysts say a brief talk between the two leaders referred Tanzania helps to put the country in a good global phase from its efforts to support the resolution of conflicts in the region and Africa at large. Reporting for Channel Africa in Dar es Salaam, Tanzania, this is Gabriel Zakaria.
South Africa's acting National Police Commissioner Kumoto Patlane says South Africans should not worry about their safety at airports. Patlane was addressing the media in Pretoria following Tuesday night's multi-million rand cash heist at Oratambo Airport. A group of armed men posing as police officers held up security staff and stole an undisclosed amount of money from a sealed container. Two vehicles used in the robbery have since been found in Mamelodi, east of Pretoria. Patlane says the police have been able to keep all airports around the country relatively incident-free and this cannot be overlooked because of one incident. Angela Buluana compiled this report. You are very safe. The CEO will tell you that uh, that airport is processing uh, 20 million plus people a year on an annual basis. I don't know how many fatalities have we recorded in a year at that place. As far as I'm concerned, that must be evidence of the airport um, is a secure space. We are doing our best. Acting National Police Commissioner Khumuso Patlani reassured travelers that airports in South Africa are safe despite the Tuesday night robbery in which an estimated 15 million US dollars was stolen. It's alleged 10 men in two cars, one of them looking like a police van, overpowered security personnel in a restricted area made off with the money in 22 minutes. Patlani did not take kindly to suggestions that the police were ill-prepared for such an incident. Those people who came with those bogus police vehicles were armed and they came there uh, with one thing in mind, uh, to lay their hands on whatever they wanted to take. So even if uh, these uh, uh, security guys were armed, they would have been overpowered in in that situation. And that is detail that uh, we said, leave it to us to do an investigation and uh, provide you with uh, uh, some answers uh, at a point. Patlane says although investigations are still in their early stages, they cannot rule out the possibility that it was an inside job. No one has been arrested, but the two vehicles used in the robbery have been recovered in Mamilodi, east of Pretoria. AXA CEO Bongani Maseko has pointed out, however, that the responsibility for security cannot only be placed on them and the police. Cargo operators should also beef up security. We do encourage them to have a security program because as you turn over your cargo to that company to ship it to wherever it's being shipped to or it being shipped from its source to the destination being overcome, you equally have a responsibility on making sure that you have adequate security around your cargo to ensure that it gets to its final destination. And what we have tried to emphasize to our cargo operators is that it cannot solely be the responsibility of AXA and the police. There have been a number of incidents at the airport in recent years. Patlan was not able to provide details of the number of incidences in their nature, but Maseko says electronic equipment and cell phones were stolen a number of times from one company. He challenged the company to vet its employees. Maseko says when it comes to security, cooperation is paramount. 
The report by Angela Bulawana. Your time is 17.27 Central African time. The South African Nuclear Energy Corporation says it is pleased and more sensible outcome of the Pretoria High Court's decision to dismiss Earth Life Africa's application to stop Nexa constructing and the use of a small nuclear waste smelter. Dr. Kelvin Kem, chairman of the South African Nuclear Energy Corporation, says environmental activist organization Earth Life Africa has consistently refused to listen to any reason and has pursued this silly action as he says as a part of its ongoing attitude to obstruct Nexa's activities at every opportunity. Well we're very very pleased that Judge Robbie has seen fit to make this decision because it's an issue that's been going on for some time now where Earthlife Africa has been attacking Nexa for building a smelter to get rid of some contaminated pipes and metal components and so on. And it's been a source of great irritation to us because it's been very clear that there's been nothing wrong at all with the manufacture of the smelter. The smelter is entirely indoors. It is not something which is standing outside. And what happens is, is there's old pipes and metal parts that were used in certain nuclear processes that have potentially got a bit of radioactive material still on the pipes. And they take up a lot of space, so to reduce the space, what we are doing is we are melting the metal down, putting it through a purification process, and then casting it into blocks. And the blocks can be stacked using up less space. The blocks will still be contained indoors in a storage facility, and all the processes take place inside a sealed unit. So images that have been created that somehow there's a smokestack pouring radioactive smoke on whatever into the environment is just not true. And no matter how much we tried to explain to Earth Life Africa and other people that this is not true, they persisted in creating scare stories that produced an image that the nuclear scientists at Nexo were irresponsible people. So we that's Dr. Calvin Kem, Chairman of the South African Nuclear Energy Corporation, talking to Wandile Kalipa. It's time for news headlines with Onel Nzinzi. South Africa's Deputy President Cyril Ramaphosa says the recent spike in xenophobia and violent protests cannot be blamed on a failure by government to restore social cohesion. SADC heads of state summit to be held in Swaziland next week will have to discuss the political instability in the DRC. And Malawi's commercial capital, Blanta, continues to face water challenges. Channel Africa News, I'm Onilin Sinsi. Thanks, Onele, at 1730 Central African time. You can find us on Channel Africa 1 on Twitter or info at channelafrica.co.za on email. South African actor and Brothers for Life ambassador Gakheso Mudupi at age 33 will undergo a medical circumcision procedure this weekend and is encouraging men to join him in what he calls a celebration of masculinity, brotherhood and good health. Mudupi, through the hashtag Zwagala scheme campaign, is targeting 
reporting about 2,000 men to circumcise by the weekend. Men are urged to book for a procedure by sending a please call me to 082-808-6152 to secure a slot at any of the 150 clinics in Gauteng, KwaZulu-Natal, Mpumalanga and the Northwest Province. Mudubi elaborates. You know, since I, I got I got more information about you know um, issues that I had like pain and 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 how long I should uh, you know stay abstain from from intercourse, I think I'm pretty ready. You know, and the support that I've been getting from from men around the country has been really really you know um, pushing me to do this thing. Men are very touchy to talk about these kind of things. Now yeah. you've just gone in and you have sort of garnered thousands of men to come forward and actually, you know, be part of this uh, campaign this weekend as well. What has yeah. been the response that you've been getting? I know that um, this issue is, is one that is quite taboo in some yeah. um, cultural <laughs> um, spaces. So talk to us about that. Look, to be honest with you, you know, uh, for me, I feel like men just needed a voice. They needed someone who's going to come out and say, you know what, let's go and do this. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I've, I've realized that I, I became that voice because not all cultures practice this, you know. And, mm-hmm. and for me, the drive behind it is, is, is the HPV virus that, that is around the foreskin. And we could, gen- we could literally, you know, uh, infect our wives mm-hmm. with, with cervical cancer. And, and for me, that's a big drive. This is a taboo thing to speak about mm-hmm. because men have been like, you know, and I don't want to talk about my 4-5. You know, but but now you know men are coming out and they're saying we want to do this. Uh, it's just that we were scared of doing it, and we had so many questions. But you know, uh, it, it was it was very uncomfortable for us to go and ask so that we can get the answers. Mm-hmm. And we were aiming for two thousand. We are actually over two thousand wow. in just two weeks. So after this Saturday, we definitely going to continue doing this. Mm. Now, you said yourself earlier that, you know, you um, had to do a little bit of research, you know, to understand yeah. exactly what it's all about. Now, one of the main debates when it comes to this particular topic is um, the, the men on the one side who are very traditional about this type of procedure and uh, the men who don't mind going through, um, you know, doing it via the medical way. So what are some of the, the, the debates that uh, you've engaged in, you know, as you have been talking to men around this issue, um, about those who prefer the traditional way of doing it as opposed to the medical way? You know, I, I have assured, you know, men that tradition is, is our tradition. It's what defines who we are. I'm a traditional guy myself. You know, I still travel about Jimu. When we go to these circumcision schools, is that you find that most men were partially circumcised. Yeah. So they still stand the chance of carrying the HPV virus. And that's why we're just inviting them to say, come through, have a checkup. You know, it doesn't take away from your tradition, doesn't take away from what you've learned at co-initiation schools, you know, about manhood and about what, is it, what does it take to become a proper man. So we encourage people to actually even do it traditionally. Let them come and, and, and do it, uh, uh, you know, medically and not traditionally. Mm. But those who've done it traditionally, come and have a checkup because sometimes you find that Bausha Pileka skull cap. Yeah, And it wasn't the full thing. So just come and check and so that we can protect our women and protect, you know, the women that we say we love, the mothers of our children. Now, I'm going to put you on the spot, Kasi. So you've yeah. been a trooper, you know, you're this guy, you know exactly what it is you're getting yourself into. Tell us about some of your fears <laughs> going into this. You know, my biggest fear was the memes on Instagram. Oh, the you memes, know, um, yes, yeah. yes. You know, social thought, media is quite um, yeah. something else. Because I thought about it and I was like, I'm a public figure, you mm. know, and I could, I could have gone and done this privately, but I thought, you know, you know, the position that I'm at, uh, I, I've got an influence of over 4 million people every sure. night, over 20 million 
uh, every every night. And if I can make a difference in the world by saving women's lives, by by being a role model to to young boys who who watch me and they idolize me, then let me do this. You know, that was my biggest fear. My biggest fear was embarrassing mm-hmm. my my wife and embarrassing mm-hmm. my children. But the support that I got from my wife and the support I got from my children, I was like, you know, I've, I've, I'm, I have an opportunity to start something here where we're going to have a conversation about circumcision. Yeah. Mm. The same way it was the taboo to speak about HIV. And now we're openly speaking about it, yeah. you know, and especially, you know, in our black cultures, because we never speak about these things. My father died of, 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 of prostate cancer. It was something mm. that we never spoke about. Mm. You know, uh, my, my mother-in-law, you know, uh, had a scare cervical cancer, and it was hush-hush, you know, when we were speaking about it. And I was like, mm. these things affect us. And we need to start talking about them. The other one was pain because I'm a man, man. I'm a I was man. about to ask you. I'm, I'm like, of pain. <laughs> I'm scared of pain. <laughs> you know, I'm scared of pain. Yeah. But you know, I went and I had my pre-consultation, and they told me that they actually numb the whole area. You won't feel anything while they're doing it. And just talking to other guys, they say I was talking to the doctors while they were doing it. I wasn't feeling anything. Mm. You know, one of the things was uh, what happens if there's a female that touches me. I mean, there's nurses there. Yeah. I'm a man. I'm a man. All right. <laughs> I'm a man, so <laughs> will I get an erection? You know what happens. You know, and they said you're totally numb, and you know, and then and, and that's all you have to do. Let's guys, let's go out and do the right thing. And I'm gonna continue talking about this. Kakhesu Mudubi is a South African actor and Brothers for Life ambassador, talking to Zikona Miso. This is Channel Africa, South Africa's official international public radio station on shortwave, internet and satellite. From an African perspective, listen to Channel Africa in English, Kiswahili, French, Silozi, Portuguese and Chinyanja. Informing the world about Africa. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. It's 17.37 Central African time. Global trade union leaders gathered at the IMF recently to discuss how workers are being impacted by the changing global economy. Hilma Mote from African Region's International Trade Union Confederation says African youth, especially women, are facing several challenges with the continent's rapidly growing labor force. I think you're right that the workforce um, is expanding in Africa. Um, Africa has the biggest number of people between the ages of 15 and 29, very youthful population. The question is, can we provide opportunities for those young people? By 2050, Africa will have the, young, the biggest number of young people. If we don't do anything now to structurally transform African economies, to be able to add value to our mineral resources, for instance, before we export them, to make sure that jobs remain on the continent, If we don't do anything about it now, it actually means that we are bringing up young people again for labor on other continents. They will continue to die in the various seas trying to cross to find opportunities elsewhere. Uh, We have lots of mineral resources. They continue to discover many more. So the point is we to say, let's add value to this on the continent. Let's create opportunities for our people. Let's invest in our people. Uh, If it means that we need people to assist us in terms of skills, that can be done. It can be a program of a few years. But it's really high time that we stop this uh, exportation of jobs to somewhere else. I think we should begin to do something on the continent. So your organization has worked really hard to bring more women 
uh, into the workforce all over the world. Um, do you think the situation for women in Africa is more challenging uh, than for women in um, other regions? I think generally women everywhere uh, tend to be at the um, lowest um, economic ladder, but of course more so in Africa and maybe East, East Asia is another continent that one can compare a little bit. Women in Africa generally tend to have uh, lower education levels, especially in countries where discrimination was institutionalized in South Africa and Namibia as examples. And in some countries it's just merely because of patriarchal value systems uh, that continue to dominate and um, to prevent women from achieving their best potentials. So it is a difficult life for a lot of African women. Uh, I think the issue of burden of care is really serious, especially given the devastating effects of HIV AIDS. And as I was um, saying yesterday, the Ebola outbreak in, uh, in West Africa uh, about two years ago is a case in point. It is women who mostly lost their lives because they were taking care of uh, somebody who um, has contracted Ebola, for instance, and in the process, because they care generally, and, and it's, it's a woman's job perceived to be to care, they end up also contracting the, the illnesses. But the burden of care also then stop sometimes women from excelling in the labor market. In the absence of proper physical infrastructure, for instance, most women travel long distances from home to work because there's no proper public transport. And maybe before then they had to drop a child at school on foot or they had to get up very early and take the child to hospital before they get to work. And that impacts productivity. With all those conditions, I mean, if you compare a woman in Sweden to a woman in Malawi, for instance, trying to do exactly the same thing, it's almost impossible. And what about uh, access to education? Do boys and girls have equal access now? Although in recent times uh, there has been at least some level of equality in terms of or women or young girls surpassing boys in terms of primary education, you will still find that there are more men who excel in science and technology. And if you have science and technology education, you are regarded as the best possible person to employ, I mean, compared to somebody who have done maybe health sciences or social sciences. Um, and and you would ex- even this in, in this day and age, you find that a lot of young girls continue to opt for feminized uh, education programs, um, dominating the education and the health services, which are crucial. But unfortunately, those are also the sectors that sometimes, even in the public sector, are, in terms of incomes, undervalued, underpaid, overworked. And African girls tend to drop out of school due to teenage pregnancies, and, and there are no sufficient programs to ensure that these girls return to school, for instance. And that becomes a cycle and it affects generations, becomes a generational issue. Because if a mother had dropped out of school, she's most likely not to get a good job, and hence even her children become trapped in that, in that kind of cycle. And the girl grew up without a role model. A lot of African girls have got no proper role models. I mean, they have mothers who 
are value laden, who are in some cases extremely religious and spiritual, the only thing they hold on to, but not mothers who are excelling in politics, uh, who are uh, excelling in uh, big corporations, for instance. And then what what would happen then? The girls grow up thinking this is how far a woman can go. So we do need a lot more African women role models for young girls to look up to if we are going to change the status quo. So do you think that uh, governments and uh, policymakers consult enough with trade unions uh, and women when they're developing or, or forming policy? I think in the past it used to be completely absent. There has been a bit of attempt in recent times because it's, sometimes it's a, it's a donor conditionality. But if something is done because somebody else wants you to do it, I don't think that's good enough. You should be doing it because you have respect for your society, you have respect for the views of your people, and you believe that whatever they tell you is uh, what they really are going through. So it's better to listen to them. But it shouldn't be done just because you want to tick off a box, buy some donor to give you money for consultations, for good governance. That's Hilma Mote, Executive Director of the Africa Labor Research and Education Institute, ITUC Africa, speaking to Bruce Edwards from the International Monetary Fund. Let's get your economic news from Musana Matabula. Former South African President Tabumbegi says the African peer review mechanism is not a ratings agency but an instrument for African countries to check themselves. Begu are speaking at the APRM's 14th anniversary in Johannesburg. The mechanism was formulated in 2003 for African countries who adopted NEPAD. So far, 37 countries form part of the APRM. Begi says many countries were reluctant to join at first but this is purely for the development of Africa. We then had to look at the question of what is it that needs to be done in order to achieve the objectives that are spelled out in the SNAPAD. And clearly, our own role as Africans in terms of the implementation of the, the program spelled out in NEPAD became critical. And so we then had to say that, well, are our governments in a fit condition to play the role that they are supposed to play with regard to all of this? So what is the state of governance? in each one of our countries because we want to make sure that this thing is not just a snapper thing it's not just a vision but actually a practical program which was result in the transformation of the african continent South Africa's Aspen PharmaCare focused the sales of 152 million US dollars in China over the next 12 months. The drug maker reported a 6% rise in first half profit. Aspen started trading in China in the six months to end December 2016 and is chasing growth in the world's second largest pharmaceutical market with its recently acquired portfolio of medicines from AstraZeneca and GlaxoSmithKline. In Asia, the business has expanded substantially with the addition of AstraZeneca anesthetics. Aspen is now the largest anesthetic seller outside of the United States. And the South Af- three South African advertising companies are to be prosecuted by the Competition Commission for price fixing and collusive tendering. This after the Commission's investigation found that human communications corner staffing 
and JobVest agreed on prices to quote their customers. The companies there link job seekers to potential employers and assist their clients place advertisements in newspapers. Competition Commission spokesperson C. Pongwema. Two years ago, we received a tip of uh, that these companies were fixing prices, colluding, and dividing the market amongst themselves. Something that is not allowed. Competitors are supposed to compete. They're not supposed to share information and to watch these companies. We are taking them to the competition tribunal and we are seeking the maximum of 10% of their turnover as an administrative penalty. Zambia's electricity costs uh, will be the defining issue for the mining sector this year and beyond. The southern African country, which is a major copper producer, is struggling to maintain power supplies as a severe drought has caused levels to drop in the Kariba Dam, which generates much, much of the nation's electricity. The Zambian government plans to raise electricity tariffs to reflect production costs by the end of the year. And government cap on commercial lending rates is likely to cut uh, Kenya's biggest lender by assets, KCB Group's pre-tax profit by 2% this year. This will mean fewer loans to small and medium-sized firms. The limit, which caps rates at 4 percentage points above the central bank rate, is now at 10%. Kenyan bank shares have slumped uh, since the cap was imposed in September last year, with the average valuation dropping by half to 0.9% times a book value. KCB, which also operates in neighboring Uganda, Tanzania, Rwanda, Burundi and South Sudan, says its pre-tax profit rose 10% last year to 284 million US dollars, capped by hyperinflation in South Sudan. Looking now at your financial indicators, uh, the dollar will cost you 13.02 South African rands, 10.29 Botswana Pula and 9.64 Zambian Kwacha. It is a bit cheaper in uh, Britain where it costs around 0.82 British pound and 0.94 against the euro. Commodities, gold $1,207, platinum $945 per fine ounce, brand crude oil $53.57 per barrel. And that's how it's looking right now. Musibu Makura has your sports news. Good evening, sports fans. I am Musibu Makura with the latest sports news at the Sawam. Starting off with football news, Owen de Gaumam will lead Bafana Bafana into two friendly matches against Guinea-Bissau as well as Angola later this month. De Gama announced a 25-man Bafana Bafana squad earlier today at Safa House in Johannesburg. Now, Bafana Bafana plays Guinea-Bissau on the 25th of March at the Moses Mabila Stadium in Durban. This match will then be followed by a clash against Angola on the 28th of March at a venue yet to be decided. De Gama says they want to use the two matches to increase the pool of players to choose from in the future. The focus and the mission is on moving forward. That's the most important thing. Um, and whatever happens, whoever the coach might be, moving forward, I think we've got to make sure that we have the broadest possible base of players for selection moving forward. 
broadest and the best possible list of players or squad of players moving forward. And that has precipitated us to move into this direction in, in how the team was selected. Um, I believe that we've got abundance, we've got an abundance of talent in this country and, outside, and players that are playing outside the country. And we've got to tap into them as best as possible. Meanwhile, Bafana Bafana will gather on the 19th of March in Johannesburg before travelling to Durban the next day. Before they clash against Guinea-Bissau, Bafana Bafana will play two trading matches against Golden Arrows as well as Tanda Royal Zulu on the 22nd of March. At the same time, Degama explained the reasons for the recalling of Gamohelo Mokojo as well as Kermit Erasmus and the inclusion of under-20 players, Luther Singh, as well as Pak Amani Masambi. We have been following players all over the world. You'll see now uh, that Kermit Erasmus has started playing quite regularly now. Mokojo has always been playing. He's doing very, very well for his, his specific team. Um, you look at the two youngsters that we brought in, Luther Singh and Masambi. I think this will encourage a lot of youngsters to, to work harder. And I think it's, it's a, a step in the right direction to give hope to the youngsters as well and to encourage them to do well at the other national teams. These are possibilities that can happen. We've tried to look at the Senegal squad, the team that played against Senegal. And you're not going to change too much there. So we had to take that into consideration as well. You want to take the Senegal squad and try and strengthen it as best as possible. And so on football news, Mike Modubi, head coach of Ugandan side KCCA, believes his side can upset current reigning African club champions Mamelodi Sundowns in their two-legged first round encounter due to, take, um, due to kick off in the country's capital on Friday. This is the first time both teams will meet in a CAF competition. Coach Modubi believes the South African side's achievement as the best club on the continent last season only counts for that season but not 2017. They have had a wonderful year, wonderful season. Uh, they have won everything on the continent. They have uh, supplied two of the best players on the continent, including Aaron and Young. But that does not scare us, you know. Um, they may have the experience that cutting edge experience, which we do not have. But with the belief that the players have, and if they are organized, anything can happen. And finally, tennis U Serena Williams has withdrawn from the BNP Paribas Open in Indian Wells and the Miami Open due to a left injury. And as a result, will, um, will relinquish her world number one tennis ranking to German Angelique Kerber. Williams, a two-time champion at the showpiece event at the California Desert Resort, had returned to the women's top ranking in January after claiming a record 23rd Grand Slam singles title in the professional era at the Australian Open. Now, Williams needed to reach the Indian Wells semi-final for a chance to retain her number one ranking, but her withdrawal means Angelique Kerber will unseat her after the tournament. That's according to the WTA website. Well, the Zaya Sports News at the Sour stay tuned to Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance.
is Africa Digest. Seventeen fifty-five Central African Time led Rika Batop stories. Today marks fourteen years since the launch of the African Peer Review Mechanism. UN Secretary General Antonio Guterres visits East Africa, and that wraps up Africa Digest for. This hour from myself, Spumela Lezondi, producer Luanda Mahomet, technical producer Evelyn Ibrahim, and the rest of the team. Thanks for listening. Send us emails. We are on info at channelafrica.co.za, info at channelafrica.co.za, and SMS on plus 27-796-957-930, plus 27-796-957-930, Channel Africa 1 on Twitter. We leave you with Sauti Sol and Ianya's Surayako.